Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Both Sides of the Stethoscope. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Colby Salerno, here with my co-host, Dr. Aline Grigosian. Hi, everyone. And we're excited tonight to welcome on Craig Smith, who is the founder and executive director of Second Chance Fundraising, a nonprofit whose goal is to help spread the word on organ donation. And Craig Smith, who's on with us tonight, is also a heart transplant recipient as well. So welcome on, Craig. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So, Craig, I think before we get into your work with Second Chance Fundraising and what made you want to start a nonprofit, we'd love to hear a little bit about your story that led to a heart transplant. Yeah, my my journey to needing a heart transplant was really a very unexpected one. Um, When I was 26, I got a job in uh, State College and moved up there. And that I haven't gone to Penn State. I was super excited. First job out of grad school, you know, moving on with my life. And quite shortly after I moved there, I, I had my first symptoms in hindsight uh, of being sick, which started off pretty innocently of just, you know, shortness of breath, uh, a cough, sore throat, you know, just a ba- it seemed like a basic cold. Um, evidently, uh, after a while, we we realized that it was actually um, viral cardiomyopathy, and I was eventually made my way down to Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, uh, and that's when they first told me that I was going to need a heart transplant. Before that, um, other doctors in both State College and in Johnstown, my hometown, they had kind of known what was going on, but I don't think really knew the extent of how damaged my heart was. So to give you an idea, when I went into the hospital, my EF was between 10 and 12. So it was very, very damaged at that point. Um, so when I got to Allegheny General, they told me that I was going to need a heart transplant. And the first thing that they did was they implanted a, a left ventricular cyst device on me. So I got that in April of 2014. And I had that for a year and a half until uh, luckily on October 16th of 2015, I got my new heart and uh, my second chance. That's amazing. As a backstory, the way that I met you was because our stories were so similar, right, Craig? Like, I think you had messaged me and you were like, I'm a heart transplant patient too. And this is my story. And I was like, oh my God, that is exactly similar to my story. Um, And it was so nice for me to meet you because it was another person that was like around my age who had been through something similar and also showed like how important social media is nowadays, like supporting people who are chronically ill. (laughs) Yeah. I've been able to meet a lot of people, um, you know, through social media and Instagram that have had transplants and, and several of them are, you know, around our age. So I think there's, there's obviously a very common misconception out there that you have to be old and sick to need a heart transplant or to, to need any transplant for that, for that matter. Um, yeah. so, you know, I guess we're the uh, we're the the ones that buck the trend and, and get the word out there that it can happen to anybody at any age, really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Craig, that's an amazing story. So Aline ended up getting a virus, but then she found out that she had underlying genetic heart disease. Is that the case for you, or did you unfortunately just have a really bad adverse effects to the virus? So as far as we know, it it was just viral. Um, now when I was a, a, a kid, a little kid, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this name. So hopefully you guys can help <laughs> me out, but I had, um, some sort of tachycardia condition when I was a, a real little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know at one point when I was around nine years old, I had to be hospitalized overnight because, you know, when I, we had, we had tips and we had tricks. My parents and I did that when I had one of these, uh, tacky episodes and my heart would race, we had, we had 
tips to get rid of it. And, and it almost always worked. And the one night we couldn't get it to settle down and end up being hospitalized. So I did have a history of that. Um, however, my doctors have been pretty confident the whole time through that that didn't have anything to do with my ultimate needing a transplant from the viral cardiomyopathy. So, you know, as far as we know, but, you know, in the world of medicine, do you ever really know 100%? People are so assuming and they think that everything is black and white. And like, this is, you know, one of those things that you learn in medicine. But I'm glad you you understand. Yeah, absolutely. I I work with doctors in my day job and uh, and they'll be the first ones to tell you that, uh, you know, they, they know a lot. They know a lot more than I do and, and, and the common person, but, uh, you know, there's just still a lot out there that we do not know from a medical perspective. Yeah, definitely. And you're our first guest who's come on, who's had a left ventricular assist device. And for those listening who may not know what that is, that's a heart pump that gets, uh, implanted through open heart surgery. Uh, so Craig sounds like has been through at least two open heart surgeries, um, and helps kind of keep the heart pumping while Craig waited for a heart transplant. So Craig, tell, tell us what it was like living with that. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I hope that I don't misrepresent, you know, the average person with an LVAD, but I had a really good experience with it, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I was 26 at the time, so I was young. I didn't have any other health conditions otherwise. Um, and I, I really went back to my daily life as much as you can. Of course, you know, I was on the, I was on the transplant waiting list. So there were adjustments to my life, no doubt about it, but you know, with the LVAD, I, I did everything that I, I like to do for the most part. I went golfing, I went hiking, I went hunting, you know, I, I went to sporting events and concerts. And I remember going to a pirate game. Uh, it was like the first major event that I went to. And I was thinking like, I'm going to get stopped by security because I'm wearing this backpack with wires hanging out all over. It looks like I'm walking in with like a bomb. Um, but it, honestly, it just didn't really um, hinder me from going about my daily life too much. I got so used to it. I would sit it on the desk beside me at work. And sometimes I would forget and I'd, I'd go to get up and walk away and I'd completely forget that this LVAD was attached to me and I'd, it would, you know, kind of pull at me and, and bring me back to reality. But, you know, when you get, when you get past the idea of you're, you're basically an electronic and you plug into the wall and I had a car charger for it and, and all that fun stuff, when you get past that, you just, you know, you adjust to it and you go about your daily life. No, that's awesome. And I think, you know, Every patient is different, and there's definitely people out there who have had a tough time with LVAD, but there's plenty of patients like you who have done excellent. I was just at the Heart Failure Society of America conference, and there was a patient there, um, and she had a HeartMate 2, which is not even the newest uh, version of the LVAD. Um, And I believe, um, I don't want to misconstrue her exact time, but I believe she's at least 24 years in using the same LVAD. Wow. She, um, she still has an LVAD? Yep. She still has an LVAD. She's still going strong. She still wow. does not need a transplant. It was incredible meeting her. Yes. Um, and she was actively sharing her story. She had a shirt on that said like her story and she was over by the, the company that makes the LVAD. Um, her husband actually added me as a friend on Facebook. Um, so if he's listening, shout out to him and his family who were incredible. Um, and for her for sharing her story with me. Um, and she knows that maybe one day she'll need a transplant, but she's, she was saying her son was there with her and he was like, um, 24 years. I, again, I don't know for sure. It's definitely over 10 years though, um, that she's had the same LVAD. Um, and her son was like a baby and now he's like a grown, uh, like teenager or adult wow. who like helps manage her LVAD because he's known it his whole life. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I thought I'd just have to share that little story. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, there there was adjustments for sure. I remember one of the funnier stories of when I had the LVAD was um, I went golfing with some friends. And after a while of having it, when you first get the LVAD, you take your extra batteries, even if you just walk into a you know a convenience store, you, you think this grand emergency is going to happen. And then after a while, you start getting used to the idea and you start knowing your battery length and, you know, how long you have and things like that. So it got to the point where I, I of course, took extra batteries with me to like work and long trips. But um, I went golfing with my friends one time and we got to the the golf course. It was about 40 minutes from home. And when I got there, I realized I forgot to pack extra batteries. And I'm sitting there doing the math in my head like, okay, if I get to one bar on the first battery and unplug it, to switch to the second battery and then that drains down by the time we get home like and i'm like yeah i think i should be good i think i should have enough battery to get through 18 holes of golf (laughs) and get home again and uh we ended up getting rained out after like 10 holes and thank god we did because i did not do the math correctly at all and i never would have made it through 18 holes in the drive home wow uh, extra battery so i I kept that one a secret from my mom for a while she would have worked a little bit more (laughs) yeah i'm sure and you know, I sit here worrying about taking, uh, you know, making sure I don't miss my pills or taking them on vacation, but worrying about the the batteries that are helping pump your heart. That's a whole different level of anxiety. Right. right. So, Craig, uh, thank you uh, for sharing all these stories. Um, we would love to hear more about then. What about your experience made you want to try and give back and spread the word on organ donation? Well, you know, I think I just had, uh, you know, such a positive experience through that. And again, I I know that that's not the experience for everybody. Um, but I had an amazing team, um, at Allegheny general in Pittsburgh that, that took care of me for, you know, a year and a half until I got my transplant and, um, I did really well with it and I came out extremely healthy. I mean, after my transplant, I was uh, back out in the woods hiking again within, you know, two, three months, um, you know, pretty light hiking at that point, obviously. But um, so I just, I was so thankful for my second chance. And I knew that there were so many people out there on the wait list that were also waiting for their second chance that I thought, you know, maybe I could do something to to help out. And it really, it started that my best friend Derek and I were just going to do a 5k and donate the proceeds. And at that point, I knew so little about the organ donation community. I didn't even know who we were going to give the money to. I, I remember reaching out to both CORE, who is our local OPO here in Western Pennsylvania, and also Donate Life America because I didn't know the difference between the two. And I was just looking for any organization dealing with organ donation that we could give this money from the 5K to. Um, and then those conversations led to, oh, what if we do this? This would be fun. This would be cool. And we had all these ideas of what we wanted to do. So we thought, you know what, why don't we just form our own nonprofit? Um, and then we could do all these different events to raise money. So we formed Second Chance Fundraising in March of 2016, about six months after my transplant. And we held our first 5K that August, had a great turnout. I mean, we we owe so much to our family and friends and our community back in Johnstown who come out and support our events all the time. Um, but we had this great event and um, I got to know some people at core at, at my OPO through that 5k and, and that kind of formed a relationship with them. And I started working with them really closely and speaking at colleges and high schools and hospitals and doing various donate life events with them. Um, and that really just kind of took off with between that and then doing events back in Johnstown, a second chance and raising money for this, you know, it kind of really took off and I got involved with a lot through that. And it, it's been a great way, you know, to 
to share my story and to, you know, spread the news about donation, but really also it's a great way for me to honor my donor. I mean, I, I don't know my donor. I never, um, never heard from the family or anything, but you know, I, I know that obviously without my donor, I wouldn't be here. So to be able to run something like second chance and to give back to such a worthy cause, you know, that's a great way to honor them and the decision they made that led to me being here today. It's beautiful. I feel like a lot of transplant patients come out of transplant with like this new kind of outlook on life. And, you know, a lot of them have this new drive, which I think a little bit of it is because of all the steroids initially, but also just in general, their energy is like amazing. And they, a lot of them just want to like either start a nonprofit or help out with nonprofits and do something. And I think it's great they were able to use your energy like that and still do. Yeah, I think it affects you in ways that you don't even realize as it's happening. I mean, I right. you know, I worked for a great company when I was going, like waiting for my transplant, um, that they stuck with me and, and they were very understanding and helpful while I was going through the transplant process. Um, but it was in a field that I just did not enjoy, which is finance. And, um, you know, I, I within a year of getting my transplant, I ended up leaving that job because I had started Second Chance and I just fell in love with development work like that. Right. There was just so much more I wanted to do with my life, you know, both professionally and personally. Um, I ended up starting to travel more and, and, and do things that maybe would have been on the back burner a little bit more had I not gone through something like that. So I, right. I think you're absolutely right. It really puts things in perspective. It does. Uh, and I think, was it a couple of years ago recently you won like the volunteer of the year through DLA? Yeah, I won the uh, DLA award in 2020, uh, which That's really was amazing. Yeah, I was very, very honored to be the winner of that. But it was also kind of funny because CORE had nominated me, I think, three years in a row for that. Because at that time, uh, at that time, I was running my own business from home and I had a lot of free time. <laughs> so I was spending yeah. a lot of time with CORE. And uh, the year before, we really thought I had a chance because of how much uh, I had done with CORE and then with also a second chance. And uh, I ended up not winning it. And then the year I did win it, it was COVID. So I didn't get to accept the award in person to go to the conference. So uh, it didn't work out the, the the greatest year to win it. But I was still, I was very honored to be recognized. I mean, I, I love doing the work that we do with Second Chance. But for other people to take notice and to appreciate the, uh, the uh, impact that we're trying to make with what we do was really special. Great. That's beautiful. Um, since you're so involved with the transplant community and meeting other organ donors and working with doctors and nurses, where do you see transplant going in the future? Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think there's exciting possibilities with it. I had the opportunity um, a couple years ago to make acquaintances with a, a researcher in the Starzl Institute here at the University of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. and uh, in talking to him, you know, I really think the future is just going to be uh, perfecting the care for transplant patients and, you know, with the anti-rejection drugs and, you know, all three of us on this call right now, we, we know, you know, the impact that anti-rejection drugs are going to have on our lives, uh, you know, good and bad going forward. Um, so I, I think that there's a lot of hope to make those drugs even better um, and to, you know, really make the aftercare and the lifelong uh, prospects for transplant patients better um, but also, I, I think that there's a lot of people working in the same space that we are trying to raise this awareness that I think more and more people are going to 
you know, sign up to be organ donors and hopefully get that wait list down. I, I think that I've, I've definitely seen, and I think others would see the same thing in, in working out in the community. This next generation, the younger kids, they seem to embrace the idea of organ donation so much more. They're so much more open to it. They, they really appreciate what it means to be an organ donor. Um, they're more open to learning about it and making that decision to be an organ donor. So I think the future for, for getting those registration rates up is also very bright. And I think that'll provide a lot of hope for the, you know, 100,000 plus that are still on the waiting list uh, waiting for transplants right now. I think, you know, that's always been the main goal of Second Chance is to try to do stuff just to get awareness out about donation, because we all know that people do not like to do not like to talk about organ donation because they do not like to think about their own inevitable death someday. Um, so, I mean, if we can start those conversations and have healthy, constructive conversations about being an organ donor, uh, you know, I think we're really going to make some some serious progress in getting that wait list down. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself, Craig. That's really powerful stuff. I was um, on your social media and on your website and I was checking out things and you've done a lot of great events. Are there any events that stick out to you as favorites or that you've just loved having year after year? So our, our marquee event year after year is our 5K, um, which we do in August back in our hometown of Johnstown. Um, and I, I live in Pittsburgh now. Derek still lives in Johnstown. And we hold the we hold the 5K in Johnstown every August. And it, it is a great event. We get a ton of uh, friends and family and people from the community that come out and support. And we also just get a ton of support from from local companies and, and organizations that we know that help sponsor the event. And we've been able to raise a lot of money um, and make a big impact that way. Um, historically speaking, my favorite thing that we've done with second chance so far is, uh, we did a video campaign a couple years ago and we, we were very fortunate. We got a grant from a local organization called the 1889 foundation. Um, and I wanted to do the video campaign to show people that, you know, transplant recipients are not, you know, sick, feeble people who can't live their life. We're, we're out there doing the stuff that we did before we needed a transplant and we're doing the same stuff everybody else is. Um, but I think that there's this, you know, false mindset um, about transplant recipients. So I wanted to do a video campaign to kind of show that that wasn't the case. So we have a mascot with second chance fundraising. His name is Pumper and he's just a big foam heart. If you go onto any of our social media pages, I or- love Pumper and I love all <laughs> those videos. <laughs> so yeah, you'll, you'll see Pumper. He's everywhere on our social media. Um, and the, the video campaign centered around me dressing up as Pumper and doing all kind of crazy and wacky stuff. So we spent a summer, uh, me and Derek and Derek's cousin Dalton, who's a, a, a fantastically talented videographer, um, we spent time traveling throughout Pennsylvania. And then we went to Salt Lake City for the transplant games. And we just did all these wacky videos with Pumper where Pumper went whitewater rafting. I rode a roller coaster. I played roller derby. I went cliff jumping into a, a, a thing of water. Um, you know, all kind of stuff like that, really just to show that, you know, we can get out there and we can do anything that anybody else can do. And the transplant is not holding us back. In fact, it's quite the obvious, it's the opposite, which is it gave us a whole new lease on life. So that was my favorite event that we've done with second chance. Sadly, it came to, uh, literally a crashing end. I, uh, I tried as pumper, I tried dropping into a half pipe on a skateboard and I ended up breaking my ankle and several bones in my foot oh, and, being, no. 
and being laid up for several months. But I, I did, in fact, prove the point that we can do anything that we want to, even when we shouldn't. <laughs> so, when, are you, yeah, when did that happen? That was in 2018. And it was actually oh. quite a recovery. It took me about a full year to fully recover from that. Uh, the doctor said that the, the combination ankle and bone, uh, b- broken bones in the foot was really kind of like a devastating lower ed- leg injury. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a wild it was a wild summer. So I don't I don't know if we'll be doing any of that anymore. I certainly won't be skateboarding anytime soon. But it was definitely a fun time. We can do a lot of things as like heart failure or heart transplant patients. There's a few things, and I probably wouldn't like skateboard, but there are probably plenty of people who would. Well, the funny thing is, when I went when I went to the ER because I so I, I have a pretty high t- pain tolerance, as yeah. you would imagine after several open heart surgeries right so i thought it was just a sprained ankle and we were in ohio when it happened so we we drove back to pittsburgh and i i spent the night at home and i you know it's just an ankle sprain i've sprained ankles playing sports before um and then the next day i realized it was bad so it was like a full 24 hours later that i ended up going to the er and the doctors could not believe i waited a whole day but everybody i encountered in the hospital i had to give like the whole spiel of okay i'm a heart transplant recipient this is our mascot pumper. We're doing this video campaign because I didn't want to just be, you know, a 31 year old who's still trying to live out his skateboarding dreams. Cause I don't even, <laughs> I don't even skateboard. I, I have no skateboarding background at all. Um, so I, I wanted to clarify. So they knew that it was for a good reason and not just me being stupid. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So what exactly is your mission statement with second chance and how do you see everything going in the future? Where are you guys going? Yeah. So ever since the beginning, you know, I never envisioned Second Chance, you know, becoming a job or anything like that. To me, it's just a passion project. And my ultimate goal is to just get as many people registered to be organ donors as possible, because the ultimate goal of anybody working in this space is to get as many people transplants as possible. So we, we've shifted focus over the last couple of years. I, I sold my, my own business and went back to work for, for somebody else. So I don't, my schedule is a little bit more complicated than it used to be. So I don't have as much time to do, you know, the boots on the ground advocacy work um, with Second Chance or with my local OPO as much as I used to. So now we've tried to shift to make what we do with Second Chance more impactful through other people. So we, we raise a decent amount of money through our 5K every year. And we've recently started partnering with another organization called SODA, which stands for Student Organ Donation Advocates. And through, SODA is great. I know of them, yeah. Yeah. So we I was introduced to SODA through CORE, actually, um, and made a connection with them. And we were looking for you know some way to, to spend the money that we raised through the 5K to make an impact. So through SODA now, we now sponsor five five advocacy scholarships through SODA for college students who want to do advocacy work on their campus. So they'll get these students apply. And we actually had, this is our very first year and we were blown away. We had over 130 applications this year for our very first time. And, and we had to whittle that down. It was actually quite a bit of work, but we whittled that down and we picked five winners. So we have five students spread out all across, all across the country, actually. And um, they get a thousand dollar scholarship. And their only requirement is to host at least one awareness event on their campus, whether that's having a speaker or doing a registration table or partnering with their local OPO or what have you. 
Um, we're hoping that a lot of these students will want to get involved with SOTA and either start a SOTA chapter at their college or get involved with a pre-existing SOTA chapter at their at their college or university. Um, but that's not a, requ- a requirement. So really, we're just, um, you know, so that's been a great way for us to get out there. And then um, I also lost my mom last year to breast cancer in the fall. So oh, as, as, a, as a family, yeah, thank you. Um, as a family, we made a decision. We had uh, donations to Second Chance in memory of my mom because she was a huge, huge advocate of Second Chance and, you know, took me, took care of me like a, like a little baby the whole time I was waiting for my transplant, of course. So yeah. um, the money that we received in memoriam of her, uh, we in, established a scholarship in her memory called the Lori Smith Memorial Scholarship. And we are also hosting that through soda, but that scholarship is different because that is specifically intended for a transplant recipient who wants to do advocacy work. Yeah. So they're still doing the same advocacy work on their campus, um, but they have to be a transplant recipient because my mom was just, you know, so supportive of everything we were doing with Second Chance, and she was so happy and proud that I got my second chance. So we really want to partner with, you know, students who have had that second chance as well. So so we have six scholarships going right now. They'll be open every year that students can apply for those and, um, you know, not only get some money to help out with college, but, you know, have an opportunity to make an impact on their college campus. So that's kind of the the path that we're on with Second Chance now. And, uh, you know, I think there's there's probably more exciting stuff in the future and we're just kind of riding along and seeing what happens. That's amazing. Well, you know, I lived in Pennsylvania for a long time. I did my residency there. And I actually had to go to Harrisburg for a while because my initial, like my first residency place shut down like right after my heart transplant. So I know the area very well. Um, But I know that PA sports people are crazy. So I have to ask you, what's your favorite Pennsylvania sports team? And by the way, you can tell I'm not an athlete because I don't even know what to ask. (laughs) So I don't know if it's baseball or football or basketball. I'm not really sure. (laughs) It's got to be Penn State football. Well, I was going to say I'm I'm a I'm a football guy for sure. That's my main sport. Uh, That's and. uh, it's it's Penn State and the Steelers. I I got I got my very first Steeler jersey, a Rod Woodson jersey, when I was eight years old for Christmas, and I've been a huge Steeler fan ever since. Um, but having gone to Penn State, I'm also obviously a huge Penn State fan. So you know, gun to head, would I rather see Penn State win a national championship or the Steelers win a Super Bowl? I would have to go with Penn State only oh, because wow. only because I've seen the Steelers win two Super Bowls in my life. <laughs> so I haven't I haven't gotten the glory days of Penn State. So, but those are those are those are my two PA teams, and uh, very loyal to them. Another question for you: If you could pick one favorite hospital cafeteria food, what would it be? <sighs> I mean, to be honest, I, I don't know if I could pick a favorite, but I, I will say, you know, shout out to AGH in Pittsburgh. Their hospital food was not that wasn't bad you know I don't know food gets a bad rap I know I know so I you know I never uh I never had any major complaints now obviously I'd rather have the food on the outside of the hospital especially in Pittsburgh we're, we're turning into a little bit of a foodie town here yeah um, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty simple if you give me a little bit of hot sauce I can uh, I can eat just about anything <laughs> that's good to know in fact, when I got my LVAD and I had to be on a you know, low-sodium diet as, a, as, a, as somebody waiting for a heart transplant, I was, like, devastated because hot sauce is just liquid sodium. <laughs> so, And I eat hot sauce on everything, so I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Do and, you still eat a lot of hot sauce? 
Well, so I found, so I, I stayed with my parents in Johnstown when I first got my LVAC. Right. I stayed with my parents in Johnstown for like two months. And I can tell you that Johnstown, you know, Western Pennsylvania coal mining steel town is not a beacon for uh, <laughs> healthy eating options. And uh, so I ate like the most basic like grilled cheese or I'm sorry, like grilled chicken, apples, like fruit, veggies while I was staying with them. Yeah. And I was thinking, wow, this is going to be awful to be on this like super strict diet the whole time I'm waiting. And then I went back to state college and there was like a Trader Joe's and a Wegmans. And it was like a whole new, I mean, I, the first time I went to Wegmans, it was like a little kid on Christmas day. I'm running around. They have all this organic food, like all this low sodium options. <laughs> and um, in Trader Joe's, they had a hot sauce. It was called like a chili pepper sauce and it was zero sodium. Oh, that's amazing. I didn't know that they have that. And uh, so I, I was like, oh my God, I can eat hot sauce. Cause I used to eat hot sauce on everything. Right. So I started getting this chili pepper sauce. And then the whole time I was on this diet waiting for my transplant, like I'm, I'm just like, I'm a man of simplicity. So I, at, at first my mom and I tried like a couple like exotic low sodium recipes we found online. My dad still makes fun of one. We tried to make like brown, co- like gravy from coffee grounds. I, I don't know what it was. Some recipe we found online. It was awful. Um, so after a while, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to make this simple. And I ate literally the exact same thing for a, a, a year and a half I, wow. had, I had a schedule monday through friday i ate an apple for breakfast i ate seven ounces of baked like grilled chicken for lunch with some fruit and then for dinner i had like three options that i just recycled through throughout the week oh wow and i would eat this hot sauce on everything so everything. I, I started buying it by the case from trader joe's i would call and order three cases at a time <laughs> and i kept a case of it in my drawer at work like Everybody at work knew me. I was like the hot sauce guy at work. Um, and I was devastated to find out literally just a couple months ago that they discontinued this low sodium hot, this zero oh, sodium. Oh, no. We need to get Trader Jones <laughs> in on that. They I can't- know. I know. I was like, you know, so I, you know, I don't have to be as strict as I used to be. So I can, I can eat other hot sauce now. I, I don't eat it as much as I used to. But I was like devastated for other people on low sodium diets because that was like an absolute godsend to me when I found it. And I, it was like an end of an era when I found out that this continued. I was like, I was honestly like standing in Trader Joe's, like very upset learning oh, <laughs> this news. Um, so I, I don't know. I should have I should have looked around and tried to buy like the last couple cases that existed forever, yeah. I guess. Um, so how if people want to get a hold of you or want to know more about Second Chance, how can they do that? Yeah, so you can find us on all social media. Um, we're most active on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook is just, you know, facebook.com slash second chance fundraising. And then our Instagram handle is uh, spelled out second dot chance dot fund, F-U-N-D. Um, we have a Twitter, but we're not really active on it, so it's not even worth mentioning. And then our website is uh, secondchancefundraising.org. But the social media we're most active on, and that's where we announce our events. We put up pictures from things that we participate in. That's where you'll find all the videos of Pumper doing all the wacky, crazy stuff over the years. Um, so, and, and please feel free to anybody can reach out to me on those social media. If they have questions, you know, as a, as a transplant recipient or somebody on the wait list, you know, if you have questions and, and, and want to talk to me, I'm always open and, and happy to meet new people that are going through, you know, something similar. So yeah, please feel free to reach out that way. Yeah, that's great. And like to thank Craig um, for coming on and sharing your story. You had some really great points that you made and even more for being candid and sharing about your transplant and about your mom. So thank you again for opening up to us and telling us all about this. 
Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love to, to talk transplant, and hopefully it's just another opportunity to to get the word out there and reach another person and, and hopefully save a life. Thank you again to Craig for coming on. Uh, we will link all of his social media platforms in our show notes if you want to take a look there. Make sure to follow us at both sides of the stethoscope on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also email us at both sides of the stethoscope at gmail.com with any questions or concerns or any ideas you have for our future podcast. And please remember to rate us five stars and follow or subscribe to our podcast and uh, tell your friends. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.